Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Online Warriors podcast. Entering the month of June, it is the month of E3, it is the month of summer, one of the many months of summer, and it's time for us to have another of our wonderful Patreon subscribers on the show, specifically a knight. Sir Ben, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, of course, Nerd Bomber and Tectic also here as usual, not to sound less excited, but guys like i talk i talk to them once a week i only talk to our patreon subscribers over the air every so often so it's just i'm sorry it's a little bit more exciting hey you should be psyched to talk to us every week man we bring it okay <laughs> it sounds like nerd bomber is once again feeling it i am illegal 86 as ever your host and your safari driver through the jungles of conversation did you guys ever do like african lion safari or like you know like those there, there's like zoos that do that too right where you can drive and see animals or like at disney world they have what is it the jungle cruise they're making a whole movie about it yeah and i'm tech tick <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I i said i definitely said your name but it might not have been as as ceremonious <laughs> an introduction i don't we're not gonna we're not gonna try it again we're not gonna cut and re-record but i'll just tech tick how are you it's good to, hey, hey it's, it's great to have you here you are a valued part of this of this team and and don't you forget it we have some games to talk about today, and this is not E3 week. This is either pre-E3 week or double pre-E3 week, but nonetheless, there's some gaming news in the hopper today. We are going to be talking about some of the PSVR teasers in the spotlight that happened just recently. We're going to be talking a little bit about this Crisis Remastered trilogy that just got announced. And of course, we have to talk about what uh, Tactic has taken to creatively calling Romdrom. And if you don't know what the Romdrom is, we're going to get to that but let's save that for a little bit later. Just uh, I can keep people hanging in suspense for a little bit. And of course, we're also going to hear what everyone's been up to. In particular, Ben has something special for us in the What Are You Up To segment. Looking forward to that. Another teaser. I'm, I'm being very, very salacious today. So let's just, let's keep that going. By talking first about this PSVR kind of slate of releases here. So this happened kind of as a, I think also a, a kind of these games are going to be showing up at E3, I imagine. But we got a slate of titles, a number of trailers being presented in a spotlight uh, this past Thursday. So let's kind of go through these one by one. Now, Sniper Elite is a big deal, as far as I understand it. This is a franchise that has been around for a minute. I guess round table to start. Has anyone... Uh, any any one of us here ever played any of the Sniper Elite games? Because I have not. Considering I'm so into first-person shooters, you would think that I would have. But this is one... I'm not... When I, I play FPS games, I'm not really into sniping. I've more recently started to appreciate the sniper rifle, but it was a very skill gun in most games, and it annoys me. So, no, mm -hmm. I, I don't play Sniper Elite. It's a little too patience-oriented for me, and that might be where where you were going as well. But, like, in, when, in FPSs... Most of the time, I'm I'm a run gun kind of kind of fella. Tactic? Are you are you crafty tactical enough to? So uh, generally to in our in our any groups that we play together, I'm always the sniper slash support role. So games like this excite me. However, this particular trailer did not draw me in. It was something about it just felt off and and it, and it didn't really seem captivating. But I definitely can see, you know, strapping the VR headset and really enjoying this because I do enjoy the patience and the mm. skill associated with sniping. But it wasn't it wasn't just sniping. There was a, a lot of varying different types of guns and it, and it just felt like really just sort of a Call of Duty-esque trailer. 
Yeah. So that's why I, I, I want to circle back to that. I want to. So Ben, Sniper Elite, yes, no. Have you had experience with this? What did you think of this trailer? I guess also generally. No, I didn't. Don't have any experience with sniper games, and I don't really have an opinion on it. I, you know, it's not, yeah. not, not something I enjoy. Even when I'm playing first person, third person shooters, I tend to stay away from the sniper rifles. Um, mm-hmm. Also, a run and gun kind of guy. You're the tank. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, Tactic, I think you're absolutely right. This is the main point I wanted to make is there's not a lot of sniping. In fact, I think there's more of other things going on than there is of sniping. It's there's like this the thumbnail. I'm looking at the thumbnail for the trailer right now. I have not actually watching the trailer as we speak, but the thumbnail is you're about to hit somebody in the head with literally like a hammer. I I I guess they teach that at sniper school. I I don't know. Maybe guess, they have a new a new sniper rifle that shoots hammers. I mean, you never could, know. It could be. <laughs> you know, you have to establish a good sniping position in some way, and maybe that involves sneaking up on someone and hitting them in the head with a hammer. But I have to agree with you overall tactic in that I wasn't drawn in. It looked like a worse version of Call of Duty, and for and for that matter, in terms of shooter games in VR. I've had a couple of really good experiences. I liked Farpoint a lot. But the gold standard for me was Super Hot. And I'm going to compare, as different as that game was, it's much more abstract. I'm going to compare every shooter to that and ask, does it look as fun? And invariably, at least so far, the answer is no. Well, I think this game, and this had a lot of story elements that I don't know if I was expecting. I guess I didn't know what to expect from this title when they first even announced it a while back. And it looked like this is a very heavily story-driven game, which is interesting. Like, that part kind of piqued my interest. But I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a fun story, you know? Yeah. Well, so we we can move on. I want to move on from this because it it doesn't sound like it really caught any of our attentions. I want to move on to a game that did catch mine. This game is called Wanderer. Uh, It has no specific release date. Uh, Summer 2021 is, I think, what the trailer said. It's what IGN is telling me now. This game looks freaking wild. There's no telling what it is. And I think that's a really, really captivating, at least kind of an MO for a trailer. In its heart of hearts, it's exactly what I love in video games. I've said this time and time again. It's a puzzle game. And I am a puzzler. I love a good puzzle. See, I'm not a puzzler, but I like all the different experiences that it seems like you can have. Like, for whatever reason, they have a lot of different clips. Like, you go back in time, you're using an old-timey typewriter to, I think, figure out some, like, German... Mystery. Decryption or something. Code cracking. Right. And there's there's something with electricity, like an early electric device. Well, I get that. But the thing that really caught my attention, and I don't know why of all things that this was the thing, but there's a concert... Yeah, and yeah. you're the drummer. And to me, in VR, that just seems freaking yeah. awesome. Like, that if we could have... A puzzle. A, well, yeah, that's not a puzzle. But, like, if we could have a game, like Rock Band in VR, where you actually are, like, giving a concert, think how awesome that would be. And even if I get a little snippet of that out of Wanderer, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm going to play this game. I think the thing that it is really bringing hard is the idea of escapism. Like, I... It is being billed as a puzzle game at large, I think. They show you solving kind of this Mayan, like, little spinny puzzle thing, too. I'm sure that's mostly what it is, but it just looks kind of like this, like, cinematic, time travel thrill ride where you don't know what's going to happen next. And I think VR should predominantly be about escapism, so... I think they're potentially hitting the nail on the head in that regard. But I want to get Ben's opinion first. Ben, what, okay. were, you, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it does look interesting. It looks very much like a, an escape room kind of game, 
right? Yeah. And that's that, that's a good parallel to draw, too, because I, I think it would be cool. Dude, VR escape room. Yeah. Like, I, I love escape rooms. I always have the one, I guess, it, I don't know if I'd call it a problem, but one thing that's kind of inherent to escape rooms is you're in one room, right? It, you know, if you go to a good escape room, there are usually multiple rooms. You will get, you'll open a hidden wall or something and go into a different room. And that room may have a different theme, but you're only going to get so many different settings out of an escape room is what I'm getting at. Whereas in a VR game that kind of builds itself as this escape roomy thing, the possibilities are absolutely endless. So yeah, I, I kind of like that angle on it. It's a solo too, right? It's not like you're not that's true collectively. Too. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Which yeah. I'm going to put my finger up and come back around to that comment because I think that's a, a comment that I want to kind of make on another game that was in the showcase. So remember, I had my finger up. Okay. Well, while we're at it, why wouldn't you just raise your whole hand? Why would why would you raise one finger? A tangential. No, because it's talking about a different game in the showcase, and I'm not ready to move on yet. So the other comment that I wanted to make was beyond the puzzles and the, the world jumping and, and the intricacies in the game, the story just seemed very compelling, but also plot twisty. I mean, you have the, this this mystery that you're trying to solve. This old man is kind of talking you through. and Very cryptically, yeah. And my money's on the fact that that old man is you from the future. And, and you can just sort of see this plot twisty, exciting twist and turns coming. And I'm just, I'm here for it. So way to go. Way to go, Wander. I don't, I don't want it to be me because I'm already expecting that. And so are you. But it's a fair point. It's a reasonable prediction based on what we saw from the trailer. So let's keep moving right along here. Kind of rapid firing these. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Arashi Castles of Sin. This is billed as ghosts of tsushima but you can pet the dog this looks <laughs> um yeah well so i i actually did not get a chance to watch the trailer for this one i just kind of read the synopsis so uh, i guess nerd bomber take the lead here was this did you have your finger up for this one or a different one no i had my finger up for the zombie game but this game was cool i mean it looked like you could channel that ghost of tsushima ninja assassin. samurai assassin vibe in vr which i think is cool one of the things and this is kind of overarching with all of these games now that they look like basically they look like a a regular game but in vr at this point with free motion and everything like that and one of the things about this game and a lot of the other ones that we saw during the showcase as awesome as it looked there are some things like there's a lot of fast movement and i'm wondering if i'm going to be nauseous Mm mm-hmm which is, I think, typically a concern for you. Yeah. Which, you know, that, that it kind of leads me to a broader point and a broader question. Ben, what is your experience like with VR? Whether you have it or not, or whether you would want to get it, did any of these games have you saying, take my money, or? No, not really. No. I mean, it's still, to me, sort of a novelty and an expensive one at that. Sure, yeah. So the price point on VR is either going to have to come down dramatically or the game quality is going to have to rise dramatically, and it's just not there yet. Yeah, well, and I mean, I own VR. I can't disagree with that opinion. You know, I I think we've seen a couple of games, and we'll get back to this slate in a second, but I think we have seen a couple of games. I remember in particular when Half-Life Alex came out, which is totally perpendicular to what we're currently talking about but when that came out people were heralding it as like this is a leap ahead for vr and i think in a lot of ways it was but we may not have seen the biggest leap yet that's needed to get people people like you or any any skeptic kind of on board with this and also like you said the price point is pretty high yeah but half-life alex half-life alex was really close though i mean i I, you know i i have fond memories of half-life and you know, it almost got me there, but 
yeah. still it's way too expensive for for a rig and that's not even because we're talking about psvr here which is like right it's still expensive the, the, but it's relatively the, inexpensive yeah it's the low end but it's still <laughs> still a little expensive for me a little too rich i, th- for- I will say like these games that we're starting to see for the psvr I remember early games for the PSVR when we got it, like they were kind of rough. Like you had Skyrim and Doom and stuff, but the majority of your games were either small experiences or not super like graphically intensive. And I do start to think like we're seeing the things that we saw in this showcase aren't on the level of Half-Life Alex, but they're getting closer. And I think a oh, lot yeah. of these no, no like doubt. very story driven cinematic experiences that look like they have decent graphics and like they could be bigger budget games. I think that is the response to try to bring something like Half-Life Alex to the PSVR. Because I, I do think Sony kind of hurt not having that on their platform. Because if that would have been an option, I'm sure there are a ton of people who went and bought other VR rigs even if they already had a PSVR because Half-Life Alex was that big of a draw. I mean, the IP alone, you know? I would have bought it, no doubt. It, you know, I, I do agree. I think the arrow is in general pointing up. And, you know, to say that it's a novelty still, I think is perfectly valid. 99%, like Farpoint is the one exception in terms of VR games that I have played that I guess Squadrons might be close to. But like v- most VR games that I played are very arcadey. I just mentioned Super Hot as one of my favorite, probably my favorite VR game ever. It's an arcade game. It's 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 a little novelty act. There's nothing really to it. So, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to say until we get to a level where, you know, we're getting closer to it with things like this Samurai game and with, with Wanderer, we might not be there yet. And with that said, let's talk about Puzzle Bobble 3D <laughs> Vacation Odyssey. I do want to mention one thing that's exciting me about Castle of Jin. And that is the diversity of the weapons that you can use. A lot of the games that are out there, it's all shooter or all sword. This one, there were moments when they're rocking a bow and arrow. There were moments when they're rocking a sword. There was some hand-to-hand combat. And that is what drew me in mostly about this game was the varying different types of combat that you can have. I mean, when I first got introduced to VR, it was on a game called Hollow Point where you're just bow and arrowing all day. And by gosh, by golly, did I love it. And so this wow. is another one that I'm absolutely excited for. So I, I want to skip, I'm actually going to skip Puzzle Bobble 3D unless anyone has, has grave objection. I do want to say Bubble Bobble okay. and Puzzle Bobble is life and I've loved it since I was five. Lame. You're lame. I just assume implicitly there's not a lot to see here. I but mean, there's, if there's I, not. If I'm wrong. It looks like you're yeah. basically, you have a ball launcher and you're playing Puzzle Bobble. 3D Candy Crush. In VR, yeah. It's it's basically your standard like bejeweled Candy Crush game in 3D. There's really nothing new right. here. But it's cute. But I want to get to Fract because this actually, I, I, so I, I do think Wanderer is the one that stuck out to me the most. But I had seen footage of Fract before and I'm into this one. This seems the most, I mean, deployable skis. Come on now. This just, I, I think VR games, considering your limited range of movement, the way that certain titles choose to get creative with it is what sets them apart. I think this is a perfect example. So for me, Fract is a yes. I enjoyed the art style of this one a lot. It reminded me a little yes. bit of like the Borderlands-esque art style. And I feel like that's really good for VR. Because when you try to get super photorealistic with your game, creepy in VR, it's just... The technology, especially for the PSVR, it's very limited. Like, you're never going to get super high quality graphics in VR. You're just not. You can't take yourself too seriously. Right. Yeah. And I think having this 
Borderlands-esque art style will help because you're not expecting to be in a super realistic world. You're kind of in this like semi-cell-shaded cartoony atmosphere. And I think that pairs super well with the amount of action that is seen in this game. I mean, you're you're doing cartoony stuff. Exactly. (laughs) You're basically, and I'm going to steal this from Tactic, and I know he's been waiting to say this, but we had a conversation when we were watching the thing. It looked very like James Bond. Ah, I was going to say Borderlands <laughs> art meets GoldenEye combat. Yeah, I, I, well, I think that's the perfect summary of what this is. And it's the worst. I was getting, yeah, James Bond is a better comparison than I could. I was, I was getting a different movie, but it's totally wrong. So let's just forget that I was getting any, any movie. And let's talk about Wind and Leaves. Let's quiet things down a little bit. I still don't know what this game is. There, I said it. I, I have a comparison for this one. So you had a tough day at work. You just want to, you just want to sit and you want to chill. So you, what do you do? You right. boot up, you boot up Minecraft, right? But, but Animal you know Crossing. You know what? Or Animal Crossing. Animal but, but, Crossing. But oh my goodness, you don't have those games. Instead, you got wind and leaves. So now you're going to be planting some trees, exploring some wild and having a good old time. That's all. Okay. <laughs> ben, Ben, if you, first of all, do you have a game like that? Do you have a, a kind of long day at work, chill, relax game? The question I'm getting at is, if you had a choice to turn on wind and leaves and plant trees in a game, or plant trees in real life as a stress relief mechanism, real which life, would, which would you, real life, real life is the answer here. I okay, I, I'm very happy you agree with me. But with that, let's take that and put it in our back pocket. But is there a game that you have that you go to as a kind of a very gentle stress relief, like a Minecraft or an Animal Crossing or anything like that? No, I mean, I've got a couple of games that I play on my iPad that are like these uh, turn-based kind of fight kind of games. But I mean, other other than that, it's. It, I really hope the, they're incredibly gory. No, they're not. They're not gory. They're King of Fighters type games, where okay. the SNK fighting game kind of thing where you know you level up these characters and you fight them against other people or other you know you've got different game types and stuff it's 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 just one of those things that to me at this point since i've been playing for so long is kind of a brainless sort of like Mm -hmm. turn the mind off kind of thing yeah as far as normal games are concerned any game can be a relax after work game it just you know i gotta play it in segments right now it's outriders I come home, I play about an hour Outriders before I unwind. Yeah. Well, Wind and Leaves, we don't really know what it is. <laughs> Gardening, I, I, I guess is, is the summary. Which brings us... It looks unique. I mean, that's the thing. The style looks a little... It, you looks, know, it looks so looks, chill. Yeah. Just yeah. so chill. But what is it, right? And, and if, if, if a trailer doesn't tell you what it is, there's okay. a mystery, but... There's also... It's not telling you what it is. My, my yeah. only complaint about that game is any vr game i do not use to unwind and in in my opinion this game's kind of feel and flow seems more to be a sink into your couch and and use the controller type game which the witness certainly wasn't a turn your mind off game but that's kind of how i treated it a little bit there are certain things about it that are so like soporific of just like you want to just play it and then like you said like hold a controller but just kind of like melt into your couch and you can't do that with with vr i i think Ben, too, you, you raised a good point. Like, w- with trailers, there's a certain sweet spot. You don't want to, you know, give everything away. But you also, and I think The Wanderer did a great job circling back to that. It showed you some of the stuff you're going to do, but you still don't really know what it is. And I think it, it hit the nail really well on the head with that. I guess we'll find out about Wind and Leaves. But I, I'm looking out into the virtual audience 
not an audience, but I'm looking out into the crowd and I see one little fingertip raised and it belongs to Nerd Bomber. After the Fall. Yes. This is Let's talk one. about After the Fall. So this, we, and again, we, we had seen stuff about this before too. The zombies in Los Angeles. Looks like it's really cold. Lots of shooting. Uh, lots of fun. Four player co-op. That's the part that makes me sad. A Left for Dead vibe to it a little bit, I would say in that regard. But why does that make you sad? Do you want to be on your own? You want to be a nomad? Kind of. So they said during this trailer, because they had the developers come in and give you little snippets. And like it looked, I don't know if there are any VR owners out there, but it looked a lot like, I think the game is called Arizona Sunshine, which is a zombie game. And like that in VR and then Left for Dead in non-VR. And that sounds all well and good, but the PSVR player base is not big enough to have an experience. Right. And there's Firewall Zero Hour which is a online game and there is a dedicated player base there but the the problem is that it's a small player base it takes a long time to find a match and when you do get matched up in that game you're playing with experts so the first time that you've booted up the game yeah. it's very difficult to be casual and try to figure out your way and bumble around and figure out what you're doing because you have people who are trying to communicate and they've played the game like hundreds of hours and they're like why do you not know what's going on like, go do this. Right. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. And I feel like that's going to take this game, which seems, I mean, like a fun zombie shooter. I think we kind of got away from the zombie genre a little bit. And now it's coming back with stuff like Dying Light 2 and, you know, Back yep. for Blood and now After the Fall. But I, I'm just, I feel like matchmaking can't be very good. The player base isn't big enough. And that's just going to make the game die before it's ready. Yeah, well, so I think you're probably right. I, well, I think when you put this next to Back for Blood, it's going to lose. Not that they're necessarily directly competing, but Back for Blood is very much just like, let's just do Left for Dead again. And I'm like, yes, let's just do Left for Dead again. Don't make it anything more than that. Well, I'm glad you said it's it's not like they're like not competing. In the next couple of years, the market is getting saturated with all these fantastic looking zombie games. And in comparison, this one just really can't compete to that point. It's... I mean, we have we have Back for right. Blood. We have Dying Light Two. Dying Light Two. We just had Ellie. What were you doing? Oh, The Last of Us. We just had The Last of Us. <laughs> I love how your your callback, Ellie. What yeah. were you doing? <laughs> I was like, are you talking to someone named Ellie? Like, <laughs> away from your microphone right now? Yeah, no, I I agree. It might be oversaturated. I think you know, Dying Light Two is going to be. It's, there's going to be a lot of depth to that game, I think. Whereas I think Back for Blood is going to be about as shallow as, as a game can get. And After the Fall might sit in kind of this gray area that might not suit it well. That That's another one of my of my fears. But Ben, zombie games, you know, is that a genre for you that you, you traffic a lot? And if so, do you have any words of wisdom to impart upon the developers of After the Fall? I'm sure they're listening right now. No, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a big... I, zombie to me is not a, a genre it's a story element right, right. so okay, it's you know it, a zombie game doesn't by its very nature appeal to me but if it's a part of a game that's more that's fun you know that's okay like i really loved all of the um dead riot yeah. games i yeah. loved and and the first one i loved the unique taking photographs kind of a la pokemon snap Kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, you get points for the photographs that you take and then also yeah. sort of the time management elements that if you don't... I hated the time management part. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing, too. A lot of people did, but I, just I, I actually older did like them. Yeah, well... <laughs> different strokes for different folks, I guess. Yeah, right, 
Right. I just liked how, how weird it was and you were fighting the sea of zombies and, and also all these weird people too. That's just it, Ben. That game was unique in its own right, whereas right. this just feels like, hey, Rudimentary. we took Nazi like, zombies and, and, and we put it in VR. There's snow zombies. Right. And also the graphics. I mean, compared to the other games that were showcased, it doesn't really look that good yeah, compared to the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very average. Yeah. Rudimentary is a great... That's the word you, you just use. I think it's a great yeah, word Watson. for it. I think it's... When it comes out, people are going to buy it. I'm not particularly jazzed about it. But we want to know what you thought of the PSVR showcase. What game stuck out to you? What game did we not give enough attention to? Why do you hate me? Because <laughs> I'm sure at least at least one of you does. Hit us up on Twitter. At OWIllegal86. At OWNerdBomber. At OWTactic. And our main Online Warriors show account, which is at OnlineWarriors1. We're going to move now into what I think will be a more brief topic before we get to the break. Crisis Remastered Trilogy. So this has just been announced for fall of 2021. Now, the thing about Crisis as a remaster. Now, first of all, I've never played any of the Crisis games. When I remember very vividly when Crisis came out, and I think the first one came out in like 2007 or something. It was a long time ago. It was a game that was, I think, used predominantly by gamers as like, here's how good my gaming PC is. I can play Crisis at the highest settings. So pr- presumably, it was already for its time very, very advanced graphically. So my main point of emphasis here is that hearing that they're going to be doing a remaster made me feel old <laughs> um, because I I felt like they used to be not long ago, like kind of the pinnacle of, of graphical capability. Um, and of course, you know, hardware is advanced. Console generations have advanced. And I have to say, watching the trailer for some reason perhaps because my hardware couldn't handle it i slept on these games these games look very entertaining to me the vibe that i got uh did any of you ever play fear yeah because i liked fear a lot and this gave me fear vibes this was a good game and the the vibe so you did play okay the vibe that i got when it came out initially was that looks badass and you know when I watched this, I, I didn't think the quote-unquote remaster really looked that much improved graphically, but We're it's, because it, too, yeah. it's because, like you said, it, it, it looked great back then, so it's just, hey, we're going to port it to the new console, call it a day, in my opinion. Right. Crisis 3 was one of the first games I played on my Xbox 360, and it was the, like, that was the first time I jumped back into console gaming since my PlayStation 2. Too. I mean, I had a Wii, but like you weren't playing games like Crisis on a Wii. And so that was my first foray back into console gaming. And I just remember being absolutely blown away at how it looked. I think it was really funny just now, by the way, how you were like, my Xbox 360 was the first time I jumped back into console gaming since, oh, the generation before <laughs> with the PlayStation 2. I was like, I thought you were going to jump back to like the N64 or something. No, but like um, I, I was on the tail end of the 360. I guess is a better way to put it. Like I hadn't picked up a 360 until probably like three years before that generation ended. And that sounds like a long time, but considering that console generation was almost what, like a decade, it was, it was pretty far in. I still maintain, and I, I want your opinion on this too, Ben. I maintain overall the new generations that I've seen that the GameCube PS2 Xbox generation to the 360 PS3 I guess Wii generation to me that was the biggest jump in terms I would of like agree. graphical. I, I I just remember, and it might have been at the at the time of my life when it happened. I just remember I seeing footage of Call of Duty two, and I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. So so I guess Ben, kind of super on question. First of all, what's your assessment of of the question I just asked, which is what was the biggest graphical jump to you, and then also what's your experience with Crisis been like? 
Okay. Biggest graphical junk for me uh, is you're going to laugh. Like Atari to 8-bit graphics. Uh-huh. I mean, That's, that right that there. That is fair, yeah. I mean, that that to me is the most notable jump. I mean, just for, for me, just yeah. from my, my time on this earth. So going from that to to 8 bit. That's a pretty that's a pretty unimpeachable. <laughs> yeah, it's an unimpeachable answer. Yeah. <laughs> for, for for sure. It, uh, so anything in comparison, it's just like it's just you're fine tuning the graphics to a point where it looks more like a PC now as far as the generations of consoles are concerned. So it's Yeah. It's not, you know, I don't think of it as a jump. Plus, I don't really care about <laughs> I know this sounds you're like, oh, sure, you care about the graphics. And sure to some extent, I, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. But it's not the end all be all of a game. If, it, if a game has unique and interesting game dynamics and gets me yeah. interested with the story and so oh, on absolutely. and so forth, I don't care about the graphics. We if all probably within the last five years have picked up another 8-bit game that that just has a great story and it was an indie game that was fantastic yeah right yeah so i mean that's that to me graphics jump or not i mean it's it's kind of like yeah it's impressive but it yeah it's very secondary for me as far as what i enjoy in games but i know there are people out there who do like you know they're all about the tech they're all about oh look at how many you look at the refresh rate look at how you know how amazing this looks on my big screen television my 8k or whatever they're up to now right i think they are at 8k yeah i don't i don't know actually i don't think anyone has one because they're like thousands and thousands of dollars right (laughs) i don't know if anything even produces 8k video (laughs) like you can have an 8k tv but like is there any content for it i genuinely want to know if anybody out there knows the answer please let me know because i'm curious it's the default slideshow that like comes on a flash drive and that's it well i hate to lean on this example again but super hot vr is a perfect example of what you're saying that is literally polygons like they're little polygon men there's basically no graphics in that game but it's so freaking fun. There is definitely an art form and there is a sect of gaming that is just like, let's make graphics entirely secondary to to gameplay experience, like you said, to story. I haven't played the Crisis games. Crisis games ain't that. I'm sure Crisis was like, we are going to make these the gosh darn best looking games that have ever existed. And yeah. I think in large part, they did do that. So now to see them coming back is interesting, I think. Honestly, what I think, in, in when you said as far as the way they looked right that was the the big thing was how mm-hmm. how amazing the graphics were i mean it seems to me like they're one of the games that was a benchmark game right if you yeah, want exactly if you want a, the highest graphics quality take a look at the crisis games because that's what they're capable of that's what you know you, the crytek engine was capable mm-hmm. of i believe that's what was used yep. and i mean now i mean where is crytek I mean, there, there apparently, is, they've, apparently they've been remastering the old <laughs> right, games. Right. So, to, so yeah. what is you know? But anyway, that's you know, it does look pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie, it does look cool. But my experience with the Crisis games was a guy in a super suit shooting around, first person shooter. The story didn't really grab me too much, so I didn't right. play so much of it. It wasn't a unique experience for me personally. Story was very secondary, for sure. A lot of it was just almost like in how you would approach Dishonored, but like without a story and with more like tech capabilities, because you had to kind of choose how you wanted to approach scenarios. Like, did you want to become invisible? Did you want to use a crossbow? Did you want to use a gun? Like, how are you going to attack this scenario? But 
story-wise, it was just eh. Yeah, I have a very vivid memory of being stuck in a stairwell in the Crisis Xbox 360 game where, yeah, the graphics look great, but there was some sort of weird kind of like the the character was shooting through the floor somehow and it was a solid stairway and it was just mm. something happened where it was just kind of like, okay, well, this kind of sucks, but I was just like, well, it's, it's a bug, right? Like anything right. else. It didn't turn me off of playing the game, but I would say it's an illustration is all games have bugs. So yeah, be, <laughs> be kind, um, let things slide. Earlier, Ben, too, is that, you know, Crytek kind of disappeared. And yeah. We, yeah. Crisis was such a big franchise. And for basically the entire last generation, which now I'm starting to refer to quote unquote next gen is current gen but like the xbox one ps4 generation we didn't see anything from that ip and it was such a big ip and you know yeah. starting to see things like mass effect which i know we had andromeda but we try not to talk about it It wasn't terrible but it wasn't like we just try not to talk about it you've got that you've got crisis now and like what other ips that skipped the last generation will we see kind of resurrected and getting new eyes on them maybe that's space that's space <laughs> Dead Space, Metroid Prime. Oh, you're you're, op- you're opening up some wounds. Um, yeah, I I, oh, I I think it's interesting. There was definitely at least a subconscious thought on my part in terms of okay, Crisis Remastered. Like I'd pay thirty bucks for this probably. You know what I would pay sixty dollars for? Mass Effect. A, well, a Crisis <laughs> Four, like a, something new. Yeah. Like you would think that if they if they have lain dormant for so long that they were working on the next benchmark. You know, it seems like they cared so much about it in the crisis era. Why wouldn't they come out with crisis four that like you can see, you know, the dribble of sweat on every dude's forehead or something, you know, like my theory is that all of these remastered bundle editions are basically buttering people up for the new game coming out. Could be buttery because I mean, that's what they did with Mass Effect. They released the legendary edition and then they announced in the same breath that Mass Effect 4 is on the way, like yeah. a true Mass Effect 4. So I think it part of it might be trying to resurrect the IP, getting people's eyes on it so that then they're ready for the sequel when that comes out. Because we all know no one wants to jump in at the fourth entry. Well, I guess you would, th- you would think that they would do what Mass Effect did, which, you know, Mass Effect did that very well, which, like you said, you posture it where, okay, Mass Effect 4 is coming out. We know a lot of you probably don't care. So here's a remaster of 1, 2, and 3 so that you you will care you would think crytek would do the same thing but maybe maybe not i don't know again twitter handles were mentioned earlier in the episode let us know how you're feeling about the crisis remastered trilogy let us know if you experienced the shooting stairwell bug in what i assume was crisis 3 and hit us up we're gonna head into the break now but before we do sir ben sir ben jackness thank you so much for all that you've done for the show Ben is a night level subscriber on our Patreon, and as a result, he is, among many other things, joining us here tonight. We also gained a new knight at our roundtable, Mr. Stephen Keller, who joined the episode two weeks back, one week back. I don't know. Time is a construct. Thanks to both Ben and Stephen. As night level subscribers, they get occasional guest spots, they get access to the monthly secret segment and vlog, and they also get input into our weekly game segment, which I will be hosting this week. More on that later. Uh, You can also support us at the Squire level, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment and vlog. And there's also the Lowly page, which gets you access to the monthly secret segment. So for more of the details on any and all of those levels, you can head over to patreon.com slash online warriors podcast. 
Thanks again to Ben and Steven. We're going to take a short break now and uh, shout out a sponsor. And we'll be back to talk about some Ram Dram right after that. Brush is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Brouche redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist. A fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD, P-O-D, 15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Thanks so much to Bruce for sponsoring this week's episode. And now let's get back to the show. Okay, welcome back. Ramdram. I finally get to explain what this term means. Thanks again to Tactic for coming up with this. Our creative titles department came through big time. So the long and short of this, there is a website called Ram Universe. I don't know if any of you have ever frequented this website. They are a ROM hosting website, as their name would indicate. And, uh, well, I have used ROMs before. I will say that much. Emulators are the way in the life. But Nintendo just went ahead and, and, and sued them. Basically what happened, they sued them. Lawsuit was filed back in September 2019. Nintendo was originally suing for $15 million in damages. The court reduced the damages to $2,115,000 in total. So Nintendo has been kind of going around and filing lawsuits against other ROM hosting sites, already having been awarded over $12 million in damages. Now, I don't love this. My main piece of feedback is $2 million in Nintendo's bottom line feels like no money. I get that they're trying to make a statement, and that's why they did it. But just sue the guy. Don't, don't take his money. Just say this is bad and make it public. I don't know. Maybe that's a short sight. Maybe that's a, a myopic, naive way. Yeah, but if you it. sue the guy right. and don't take his money, we'll it's not a statement. It. Right. If there's no teeth behind the bite, then it's, it's not really gummy. a bite. <laughs> yeah. I have mixed feelings okay. on this. Put the guy in the public square and stone him to death. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not to death, but like... No, not to death. Give him like a black eye or something. Stone yeah. him that with would be... Game Boy's. Game Boy cartridge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the public is not allowed to pick them up and take them afterwards because then they'll get sued. That's true. Nothing's free when it comes to Nintendo. I'm really torn on this because like on one I hand, get why they did it. I Yeah. ROMs are illegal. I get it. If you're violating copyright, I think it's copyright laws and illegally hosting, sharing, selling, using ROMs like it's illegal. There's laws. You have to follow Let them. Me... I get it. But also, we've seen so many games get lost to history. And while ROMs are kind of like this CD, quote unquote CD, I guess, like underhanded semi-illegal thing in most cases, there have been instances where ROMs are the only way people can play old, beloved mm -hmm. games. They can't access yeah. them in any other way. And so for that reason, I hate seeing these ROM websites get taken down because, you know, Nintendo probably won't let their copyrights on anything lapse because Nintendo seems very close-fisted with their legal team. They make sure that everything is like ironclad for them forever. But there are so many other ROMs that are hosted on these websites, you know, that are from different developers, different publishers that may be defunct now. And now those might get lost to time. Like the internet is forever. And I'm sure somebody has a copy of those ROMs somewhere, but maybe not. I think games should be similar to a patent 
where it can be this novel idea and, and, you, and you file for rights for it, but those rights expire after a while. And at that point, then it's released to the public. Well, I think they kind of do. Like, I know there are ROMs out there that are like specifically like the copyright has eclipsed and now they're open. There are books that yeah. are like that, too. Like, I think Sherlock Holmes is like, what's the term I'm looking for? Public domain. Right, yeah. They just You can just do what you want with them. Thanks for coming in with the legal jargon. I was I was struggling. I was like fishing in my brain for that. And I was like, I don't think, know what I'm that's not called. Even, but it should be for all games, in my opinion. I'm because not of, sure that's right. But. Because of exactly what Nerd Bomber said, where if they don't want to renew it, then let, let us, you know, relive our childhood with the nostalgia that is the only way we can get it through ROMs. Here's my question. Was this website making money yes yeah. they were okay they were. so so that's where the problem lies right if yeah. it's if it's a hosting website that is just hosting for being a library or not getting any money or not you know just doing it to host well then nintendo has no grounds the only problem comes in when they you know this this person who didn't create this is selling it i think that's wrong and well, I think I, I think they do shut down. I think Nintendo still have would still have grounds even if it was free, right? Because they made something. Oh, that it's they, true. Yeah. Um, I think the ground is shakier. The website at its base, from what I was reading, was free, but there were like limits. You had monthly Pre- there, limits. There were premium. Yeah, you could you could buy premium subscriptions to surpass download limits. Is how they made money. Right. At the end of the day, they made money. So it's you're I think you're right. I don't remember if the article that I read on this said how much money they were making or if it was just enough to sustain the hosting fees. Like I feel like if it's just enough to sustain hosting yeah, fees, like uh, I kind of get it. But that gets into a sticky Right. Because technically in the eyes of the government everything is income. My my argument is much more nebulous, which is who among us has not torrented something? Hey man, I don't yeah. want the FBI to come after me. I'm I'm admitting to this on the air. When I not I not anymore. I don't do it anymore. When I was in college, I went to college with Nerd Bomber and Tactic. For those that don't know, we met in college. We had this. I'm not going to say the name of the website. It was a it was kind of a peer to peer sharing service. I'm not going to say the name of the college either because I'm sure I get them in trouble. I cannot tell you how many. I think it was predominantly music that I downloaded off that thing but I also downloaded a couple of ROMs. I know for a fact that I downloaded the ROM for Super Mario 64 and got 120 stars for the first time, and it was a formative experience for me. So for me, ROMs are always going to hold this place in my heart. With that said, yeah, it's ethically dubious at best. But as an end user, I can't be held responsible. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm what I'm hanging my hat on. I have used ROMs, but it was an arcade it was a multiple arcade emulator sort of rom thing okay where yeah what they end up you know they say oh well these have the information that's on the chipset so all you got to do is just find a way to transfer this information from the roms that we have um to the chip and then you can have a replacement for whatever you know defunct game that they no longer make chips for right which I guess is a different sort of thing as far as legally. I know that there are Nintendo games out there that I've played on arcade emulator that who who knows if that the rights to that those things have lapsed, like Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., and to a lesser extent Popeye, the video game. Mm-hmm. So I have played them. 
mostly for nostalgic purposes and then I was done with them I just you know deleted them well I think too to I think you had mentioned this but if you own the game I think as the end user technically yeah. you're allowed to use ROMs you're not allowed to download them but you're allowed to use them wink wink like I think they anticipate you backing up your own physical copy of the game but I think as long as you own the game you're technically in the clear for owning the ROM it's a weird it's a weird legal thing. Yeah. And it's legal it's a legal thing where in the United States. Right. Only, right? It's if you have a ROM hosting service in Russia, uh I don't think Nintendo is going over there and saying, "Hey, we're going to sue yeah. you." Right? It's it all depends on where the the thing is located. So Yeah, that was another mean, thing I was actually surprised that it was hosted out of the US because I thought it not that I know anything about nefarious deeds, but I thought it was pretty common knowledge that if you did want to do nefarious deeds, you like host everything like offshore. through a different country. Right. right. The online equivalent of like banking in the Caymans, basically. Right. Right. You just do it. Rob posting in the, the, the quote unquote dark web. Right. Yeah. Well, that's like, well, I watched, this is the most offshooty offshoot in the world, but I watched that uh, Q into the storm documentary and it seems like everything there was happening in the Philippines. And it seems like there's a lot of internet stuff just happening in the Philippines because Philippines internet laws are like they don't exist or like they're much lax. They're much more lax than they are here. So that's it. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. But yeah, Nintendo is well within their right. It doesn't make me happy, but I get it. I, I guess it's kind of the, the broad stroke summary of, of this one. So that's the ROM drum, guys. That's that's the scoop. That's the dish. That's the tea, as it were. Again, let us know how you guys feel about this. Hit us up on the Twitters. Let us know what your ROM experience has been like and whether you feel personally affronted by Nintendo's actions. We're going to move into what are you up to Wednesday here? And we're going to, we're going to headline with, with our, our guest host, obviously. And there's some exciting stuff going on in Ben's life that I think he wants to kind of share and, and preface before we play a clip for him. So Ben, I'll turn it over to you. Yes. Yes. I in part to you guys for inspiring me to do this and, you know, over the what is it? It's been two years, hasn't it? It's been about two years. I think so. I, yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. You know, I've gained confidence in my voice and being on the show, and I've decided to over the last few months I've been uh, working on creating my own podcast, and we have a website through Podbean. Um, it's uh, www.tvagpodcast, T-W-O-V-A-G-U-E podcast, spelled out, dot com. And uh, it's a show about, it's going to be, it's video game related, but it's also topic related. We take a, a word and then we, me, myself and my host, we think about, well, we talk about what that word means to us you know we do research on the word and if it applies tell stories about it for the first half of the show and then the second half of the show we kind of change gears and we go into how is that word related to video games and peripherally or otherwise so it's an experiment it's going to take time for us to find our <laughs> you know our balance but we've got a preliminary show in the works which uh, you're going to listen to a clip of right now that is from our first 
we're going to call it the pilot episode because the primary episode it's a it's a much shorter version uh just to get give people a taste of what they're in for when they uh subscribe yeah. to the show the teaser so yeah it's it's yeah it's i call it a pilot but it's just basically kind of a uh just a test run and more to come starting june 23rd is when we're going to do it the first main show so getting really excited all the uh, social media information is is on uh com, and i'm looking forward to it's it's been so much fun just having this creative outlet and it's been great so we're going to listen right now to a brief clip from the pilot slash teaser episode of the Too Vague podcast. Listen now as Ben and his co-host talk about, in part, Mannheim Steamroller. Oh, you asked me, would the music in a musical game have to be better or worse than Mannheim Steamroller? <laughs> And I think you're overlooking the obvious solution to this. Right. Is why not have Mannheim Steamroller be the music in a musical video game? Oh, no, that's true. I mean, it's very, uh, you know, it's very, what's the word? I think it lends itself well. I was going to say bad. To uh, alternative interpretations. Right. Um, I could even see sort of a, uh, you know, if, if we were back in the Dreamcast days, maybe even a, a Mannheim steamroller make my music video. Uh, so I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm slowly starting to believe that this is sarcasm. I think the Heim, as we, as we fans call them, the Heim, I think the Heim is ripe and ready for the, uh, the steamroller sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, let me put it this way. If you were to tell me, Hey, have you played the new Mannheim steamroller <laughs> PC game? My immediate reaction would not be, of course not. It would be, wait a minute. I need to go look at the Mannheim steamroller PC game. Yeah. So uh, I think there's something there. Okay. Should we unearth it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but we'll, I think we'll, only I think, time will tell. I think that is potentially this episode's hidden nugget of genius. <laughs> the Mannheim steamroller video game yeah 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 we'll work on it we'll work i mean on you it. could even have i mean you could go so many different directions with that we can go for like a construction simulator. exactly exactly with the, you know, with the steamrollers exactly you, you could do pavement. something you could do something christmasy yeah yeah with it uh you could do something uh and some sort of a rhythm game you can involve the heimlich maneuver the heimlich the man heimlich steamroller <laughs> that's <laughs> wow yep wow Mannheim steamroller if you're listening we're big fans big of fans. the entire catalog fan especially entire. that one christmas song you do about the bells <laughs> All right. So what do you guys think uh, about uh, that clip? And do you have any questions about the show and what it's going to be about and what we're doing? So, so I have one main question. I agree. It sounded great. You guys clearly have a, have a banter going on. Good chemistry. Great chemistry. I what I would like and I don't you don't have to give me an actual if you have a list of words that you're you have prepped for upcoming episodes, you don't have to spoil any of those. But give me an example of what what a word might be. Are we talking proper nouns? Are we talking was Mannheim steamroller? a word um, no or was no, that that uh, came up organically is what it sounded yeah, like that 
that came up organically. The the word that we used for the basically this this pilot episode was musical. Okay. So yeah, we talk about our Kingdom experiences Heart. with musical. Well, I mean, it, is that a musical? Uh, that's I don't want to get too much into this show, but but it's like sure. Um, when we when we talk about a musical, and one of the things you'll hear in the main episode is my question is basically how many you know there aren't any games out there that tell a story in the style of a musical and would right. that be appealing and would that be something so that's part of our video game conversation that kind of kicks off the whole Mannheim steamroller joke well the other what's interesting too yeah i don't i don't know if the word was chosen with this in mind but like musical is both a noun and and Correct. adjective right so you can take it either way and that is clearly right. a seed for for discussion so that's that's a really cool right. idea uh i'm looking forward to hearing more certainly uh, i already told you this offline but i'll say it again on the air the rich bass tones of the voices uh pass that along to your co-host if you would will do, uh, will do. you guys bo- you guys both have podcast voices that that i'm personally personally envious of so oh. we're all looking forward to listening yeah can't wait to check it out and uh one, one quick thing before i pass the baton as it were yeah, that's that's one of the things I thought of is if we have a word and we, you know, we each talk about what that word means to us and it can be different things, right? Musical could be right. like a musical uh, a production or it could mean, you know, like uh, things that are musical or, right. you know, things that we hear or whatever. So that's what we're going to try and start with. You know, we can do our own research, but we're going to go two different ways obviously we're gonna you know we're gonna have approach the 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 word differently and then the plan is to have one of the hosts basically lead the conversation so it's either going to be myself or chris leading the conversation to wherever we want to take it to and so yeah it should be it should be really creative and interesting and fun to listen to so right on looking forward to hearing it so again, the Two Vague Podcast, www.twovaguepodcast.com. Did I get that right, Ben? Yep. Two um, spelled out, T-W-O. Yeah, two spelled out. Social media details therein. So with that, we will pass the what have you been up to baton over to, you know, I'm going to pass it to myself. I'm, you know what? I'm going to take charge. Typical. It's Oh, yeah. It's so typical. I There's one thing I mainly want to discuss today. I've been up to a few things, but... I feel like this deserves the majority of, of my time. Bo Burnham's Inside. So for those that don't know, this came out, I think it was Sunday, May 30th. It's Bo Burnham's latest comedy special. It released on Netflix. It's an hour and a half long, just about. I have not, my I had no experience with Bo Burnham uh, up until this, watching this. I hadn't watched any of his previous specials. I had seen of like a handful of vines back when vine was a thing that and bo burnham was was doing that guys this was fascinating i don't even i, I can't even sit here and s- tell you whether i liked it or not yet because it was just so singular i think i liked it but first of all the main thing one thing i want to impart to all the listeners and to all of you it is not a comedy special that is um, there are parts that are funny but that is a misnomer i would say people might find it generally funny, but there are parts that like, so the premise of this special is it's called inside. And he, he filmed it, produced it, edited it, wrote songs, everything by himself when he was basically trapped inside of his very small apartment during quarantine. And I'll tell you what, he is going through some stuff. 
that's i don't i won't get more into it than that but i think bo burnham has this penchant for tackling difficult issues especially this ones that plague people of of his ilk and his generation and he's a whiz on the piano he's a whiz on the keys you know i was telling my fiance when i was watching it i think if he hadn't gone the comedy angle he could have very very easily been either a serious musician slash songwriter or he could have been some kind of music producer because he clearly just has an ear for things that sound good and he can do it very effortlessly i guarantee you you've never seen anything like this i i, just, I don't want to give too much away but so i'm very it's profoundly creative it's profoundly creative that's the main thing yeah because i was a bo burnham fan before he really got big i remember he blew up I mean, I remember senior year of high school, I had all of his stuff kind of downloaded onto my MP3 player that I listened to. You were a hipster. You liked it before it was cool. Yeah. And it was always I don't very... Know that's, I don't know if that's a definition of a hipster, though. You know what I mean? You liked it before people knew. His, yeah, his, exactly his artistry yeah. was always very uh, comedic. And so to say that there's this sort of content out there that's that is comedy but it's got sort of a depressing twist i'm there's I'm absolutely this. interested yeah. to see kind of where he went and how he's grown since what i recall him to be back in the dizzy from, from what i know of his comedy at large he had there's an edge to everything he does but this is there's one song in particular that comes almost towards the end over an hour in and it's not funny at all it's like a folk song and it's very, it's very well done. Uh, it's very somber would be the word I would use for it. He looks not great. Like he, like he, <laughs> for most of it, he has like this really, really long, bushy beard. He looks like he crawled out of a cave and was like, I'm going to make this special, which might be part of it. There, he, he seems like he's just got this whole thing going on right now. It's an hour and a half. I encourage anyone who's even a little bit curious to watch it. If you turn it off 10 minutes in because you think it's just weird and don't like it, I would totally understand that. But it is so, like, it's just so different than anything I've seen. Are you a regular stand-up comedy kind of... Did you go into this expecting stand-up comedy? Or... So, it's a good question. I didn't expect stand-up comedy. I expected him to be sitting at a piano singing funny songs. And that's what some of it is. But way less of it is that than I thought. For, for me in stand-up comedy, I have a very love-hate relationship with it. You know, especially in terms of like stuff that's on Netflix. I love John Mulaney. I'm a huge John Mulaney fan. I actually didn't think Jerry Seinfeld's special was too bad. I thought Kevin James's most recent one was terrible. I thought Ken Jeong's was absolutely abysmal. I've I've had a very it's a very Jekyll and Hyde thing with me and and watching stand-up comedy sometimes. Um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's just really really aggressively not, and it seems like there's no middle ground. This managed to find a middle ground because it wasn't traditional comedy it was right. something just totally different when you say he's going through some stuff was the humor just self-deprecating humor because that's sort of his style yeah. that's that's nothing it's, it, it, it's not self-deprecating so much as it is why are we on this planet like it it's just like it's very like i don't know if i could deal with that right now it's almost like existential yeah nerd bomber you could not i will say after mentioning it to you because i i got on our discord and mentioned it to these guys right after i watched it and after i did i was like i don't know if nerd bomber can handle this what about me it's do just, me it's do me you can handle it yes. i think you i i think generally and we don't we don't need to do any psychoanalysis now but 
I think you can let things roll off a little bit easier than Nerd Bomber can, especially stuff like this, where he's just kind of, he's standing in front of you playing a piano, and one second he's saying this just asinine stuff about Jeff Bezos, and it's funny. And then the next, he is like, we're all experiencing crippling derealization because of our continued exposure to the internet. And you're like, oh my God, he's right. (laughs) And it's just like, it's kind of unsettling. There's parts of it that are really unsettling. When you mentioned that, I thought of a, another Netflix special. Uh, I don't know if it, you know the the comedian Neil Brennan. I've heard of him. Yeah, he had a sort of a... I mean, this seems to be like the reflective comedy special seems to be like a flavor of the month. Yeah. Uh, or not the month, but, you know, over the last couple of years, it's it's been, you know, like you're, you're bearing your soul, right, to, exactly. to an audience. And, and in Neil Brennan's Three Mics... It was very much like that. There was stuff that was funny. There was stuff that was, you know, just kind of like emotional. There was stuff that he was actually working through something there. Yeah. And and that, I think that's really a tricky balance to strike. And, you know. Bo Burnham, and it sounds like people like Neil Brennan, they, they've taken observational comedy, which it's a genre that started with Jerry Seinfeld saying, How, what, what's the deal with airline food? That's, uh, that's observational that? comedy at, at its most, at its most basic. That's what it is. Right. And they've taken it and they've weaponized it by just injecting kind of this extreme dose of vulnerability into it. Right. And it's, ob- it's observational, but it's self-observational and it's just, it takes profound courage. And w- when you watch inside that comes through i would say so yeah I, I'll, I'll stop gabbing but it, i recommend it just because you, you i guarantee you haven't seen anything like it so that's on like netflix that's free i'll revisit that in like a year and maybe yeah i can deal with it but right now i, I just oof. further removal what? from the pandemic would probably help yeah maybe one of his specials like it, it isn't make happy one of make them happy is there. Was, I, yeah, yeah i haven't seen that i've heard that one's really good too i'm probably gonna right. watch more of his stuff now because i had i do think it was a positive experience it's just it's it's a little bit hard to call it that because of just like it's so introspective the subject just, I, matter yeah it caught it caught me off guard i guess and i'm still kind of processing that myself but um i'll turn it over now i, I talked for a long time about it so i'll turn it over now to uh, nerd bomber take it away so i've probably tweeted about this several times but i had the misfortune of spraining my wrist so i've been a little bit limited in what i can do but i've kind of made the foray into gaming again and it's very awkward because i have this this wrist brace that also like braces my thumb so i can't move my thumb and it's just like very strange to hold a controller but i'm making do and so while i was also playing mass effect knockout city came out and i wanted to give that a spin because it's on game pass and it's pretty fun. Like I'm really terrible at it because I don't have the dexterity and the reflex that I would normally have. I don't know if that would make a difference anyway, because lately I tend to be just very bad at multiplayer. I feel like if it's not like something that I already know, like Call of Duty, then I'm not very good at it. But it's, it's a pretty fun game. I was very surprised. I thought it would kind of be like, I don't know, Fall Guys was a lot of fun and it was like a cultural phenomenon when that came out, how it kind of took the gaming world by storm and everyone was playing it, but it was almost like a flash in the pan, like it's still around, but it's not something that you play regularly, you know, you like pick it up here and there when you've got five, ten minutes to knock around and you can maybe get in a game and it can last 30 seconds and it's not very big commitment. Knockout City somehow manages to bring the fun aspects of competitive multiplayer, but make it more accessible to people to jump right in. 
I mean, we've all seen the trailers for the game. It's basically dodgeball in this very cartoony city. The atmosphere of the game really reminded me of something like Sunset Overdrive. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of just flashy, like kind of like punk-esque loud colors everywhere. Very cartoony style. There is an announcer who's kind of narrating everything that you do. Um, There are customization options to make your character look cartoony and punky however you want them to. But the gameplay is actually really simple. They've somehow nailed a very simplistic gameplay that can also be very complex. So, and part of the reason why I was able to play this, and after I was, you know, reading some reviews and stuff, I decided to delve into the game even with my hand not working functionally, is there's no aiming. You pick up a ball, a dodgeball, when you're running around, and you can throw at anybody by just hitting the trigger. It automatically locks onto your opponent. The ball automatically goes to them. You know, catching the ball or dodging the ball, as simple as a button. You know, there's a big warning thing when you're being targeted with a ball. So you don't always have to be like on super high alert at all times. You're notified when someone's about to throw at you. It's very accessible and easy for someone to pick up who may never have played a competitive multiplayer game before. And I think that really speaks volumes to having a player base that might last, especially since it's on Game Pass. They're going to be more apt to have people just pick it up on a whim, you know, be like, hey, I can, this is approachable for me. I can actually play this and have fun. And they might keep it installed and pick it up every now and then. It's really fun. I mean, it's it's a fun dodgeball concept. The control is very intuitive and while I wasn't very good at the game, like I didn't feel frustrated. You know what I mean? Like I know right. sometimes when you pick up Call of Duty and you get in there with people who are professional gamers, sometimes you just get matched yeah. up with them and you just like, as soon as you spawn, you're just insta-killed. That's not how this game feels at all. It's very approachable, super fun. I will definitely revisit it when I have a little bit more dexterity back. But I think this this could have uh, longevity because there are ways too to make it more complicated and more skillful if you want to. Like there are different types of throws you can pull off if you want to, but it's not necessary. And I just I think this this game could actually go the distance, which I normally don't feel that way about new multiplayer games. I usually think most new multiplayer games, for the most part, that rely on public matchmaking heavily. I feel like the player base will be a flash in the pan and the game usually will die. But I think this one could stand the test of time. That's good to hear. I remember we talked about this on an episode. I don't remember how long ago it was, but we definitely talked about it. And I remember thinking, gosh, it's so cool. It looks so simple. So it's great to hear that that they've followed through, I guess, in practice on what they were preaching in the trailer and the gameplay videos they showed. So Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Cool. Right on. That brings us over to, to my guy, Tactic. Unless you're, Nerbom, are you are you satisfied? Oh, yeah, that was I was satisfied with Knockout City and satisfied with my update. Tactic, my man. So my pre-order of Biomutant came, but instead of playing that, I decided to finally open up a Christmas present that I got many moons ago. Only six months late. Sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> Nerd Bomber got me a 3D printer, and basically I've been trying to figure out what room it's going to go in and, and what, what surface, and now I have both identified, and I've got the surface cleared, and I put together the 3D printer. It is a... Anycubic Mega S printer, and I'm putting together a Tinkering with Tactic video to go through how I set it up and some of the things that I learned along the way. And as we speak on this podcast, I am printing a His and Hers Owls. 
So hopefully you guys give a hoot. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did you did you choose owls just for the pun? Because I I don't know. No, in in the uh, in the setup guide, it, it directs you to print said owls. Ah, okay. So to make sure that that everything works good, I used those owls. I tried another model that I found online, but it, it kept being weird. It was a bad model, so I went to the owls. What's the first thing after the owls? If you're choosing what to print, what is the first thing you're choosing to print? The handle for my dark saber. Okay. Didn't I? I don't want to cl- take credit for it, but wasn't the dark saber? Wasn't I like you should make a dark saber? It was that you that said that. Sure. If you it want to take been. an idea for the entire innovation that's going to be behind it, you can take I credit don't, for that. No, really, I, I, <laughs> really, I, I, all I you said what, was I, you should make a dark saber, and I was like, yeah, okay, here's how. That's what ha- I. I didn't say here. I didn't say you should make a dark saber, and here's how to do it. I think I said, Tactic likes challenges, and this seems like a challenge. And I said you should make a dark saber. Look, hey, look at look at us. Look how far we've come. The handle's going to get made, is what it sounds like it's going to happen. So, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing a lot of 3D printed stuff. Hey, Tactic, I've got a question. Hey, Ben, what's your question? Are you going to uh, be 3D printing in an engagement ring? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just just wow. a his and hers owl. Just the owls. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll substitute nicely. Ben is absolutely throwing heaters over there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Uh, so, is it... Do you start with a block and it just carves away? I mean, that, or is it, I mean, I guess I don't understand how the 3D printer, like how you get it no, to. It, it puts layers. filament down. Yeah, yeah. it okay. puts filament down actually. Okay, so it's not like it carves, it it actually puts layers Yeah, of you're thinking stuff. of a CNC. Okay. Yeah, this is more, I would say like imagine like a cock gun and okay. it's essentially an automated cock gun leaving little spaghetti strands of plastic filament. On top of itself. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then that gets basically printed into a model that's three-dimensional. Correct. Okay. Interesting. I can't wait to look at the videos because it sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited for, for the future of tinkering with Tectic. Yeah. Okay. So now I think we are going to move into the game for the week, which I have the pleasure of hosting. And uh, I have selected a topic. There was a tie in the poll. So I selected the, the topic that was near and dear to my heart currently it's one of my current haunts the game of thrones or a game of thrones however you want to however you the song of ice and fire whatever you want to call it these are tv show related trivia questions the book is only tangentially involved in one of the questions which is actually a two-parter so i have six questions one tiebreaker in front of me one of the questions is a two-parter they are all prices right style questions you know the drill they're all numerical you know what can I sit this one out? Because I absolutely know nothing. That's the fun of about Sometimes Game of Thrones. that's better. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. You absolutely cannot. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Well, look, man, it's a thrill to have you here, but you have to play. That's okay. I don't, right. I don't, I, I don't make it's the rules. In, it's in the contract. I know. What did we say a couple weeks ago? We like to have guests on and then smack them with knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what we did with Steven. So what goes around goes around and around, I guess. Okay. So here come the questions. Let's start at the beginning in every sense of the word. The first novel in A Song of Ice and Fire, the, the book series, which incidentally is not yet completed, was called A Game of Thrones. When, in what years? This is a two part question. So I need an answer for both. In what year did the first novel release? And in what year did the first episode of the show release? And we're going to start with Nerd Bomber, both because Ladies First and because she is the proverbial queen of the castle. 
she has the best record amongst us. I'm trying to remember. I feel like the book was probably around 2001. And then the TV show. Oh, man. I can almost pinpoint the year. I think it was probably 2012. Okay. Uh, Let's go over to Tactic. 2003 and 2007. Okay. And Mr. Ben. What was Nerd Bomber's answers? What were those 2000, answers? 2001 and 2012, I believe is what she said. Okay. I'm going to go... Oh, geez. I'm going to go 19... Well, you know what? If I'm going to go back, I might as well go back. It's over. You're wrong, right? So let's go 1990 right. and um, 2009. Okay. Two points to the guest, guys. He's coming wow. out hot. Whoa. So, yeah. Nerd Bomber Tactic, you both busted on the book. 1996 is when the first book came out. The show, Nerd Bomber, you busted. Tactic, you were close, but Ben just edged you out. 2011. So Ben's on the board here with two points at the tippy top of, of the game. See, and uh, he didn't want to play. He's yeah. putting you guys on notice. Uh, I feel like you're hustling us. Like, you were like, I don't know anything <laughs> about Game of Thrones. What did, well, what did, like, what did he Bam. say? It was either the last time he was here or the year before. Breaking necks and cash checks. <laughs> that's uh, that's what's going on right now. <laughs> so Game of Thrones, as you may know, ran for, I'm not even going to say how many seasons, but I'm going to ask you how many episodes there were. And uh, now we'll start with Tectic. We'll just kind of round robin the first ups. 160. Okay, over to Ben. Uh, I would say it's more like 210. I think you both busted. I feel like these were short seasons. Like, I think this was one of the things that started the short seasons. So I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to go really low and I'm going to say 30, but I know it's in low double digits. Okay. So Nerd Bomber was correct. 73 episodes. So in in particular, the eighth season only had six episodes. So roughly um, a cadence of 10 per. I thought it was 20 per. That's why I picked 160. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they're hour long episodes. They're pretty on average an hour long episodes and they're they're pretty beefy so nerd bombers on the board tactic to the surprise of no one who's been listening for more than a couple of episodes <laughs> is, is 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 back a little bit but hey it's early uh if you get last ups for this next question <laughs> so eight seasons 73 episodes throughout the entirety of the show's run how many countries did it film in this is filming locations filming locations were spread across how many countries and we're going to start with ben this time uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to say, since it's my favorite number, I'm going to say 11. Okay, and uh, over to Nerdbar. I'm going to say this is a trick question. I'm going to say one. I'm going to say five. And just like that, he's on the board, ladies and gentlemen. What? Uh, ben, ben, this one's a heartbreaker for you. Ten countries. Oh. Just over ten countries. I can name them all for you if you give me a hot minute here, because I have them in this article in front of me. Uh, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Morocco, Malta, Spain, Croatia, Iceland, United States, Canada, and Scotland. Most predominantly, it was filmed in Ireland, but those are all countries that were involved. So, just like that, it is two to one to one. We have three regular questions left and one bonus question. Rather, a tiebreaker question. So um, let's continue onward. Uh, we're going to go to my favorite question that I have. Not to short sell the other two, but I think this one's the most fun. One thing that Game of Thrones is predominantly known for, besides just an outrageous number of, of meaningless sex scenes, is the amount of violence in the show. How many gallons over the show's entire eight slate of eight seasons, how many gallons of artificial blood were used? 
And uh, we're back to uh, Nerd Bomber for this one. I'm going to be oddly specific and say 5,361. Prime number, I feel like. I don't know for sure. That <laughs> bothers me. Uh, tactic? 60 gallons. I'm going to say this is a trick question. Uh, they use human blood. <laughs> I'm, I'm just no. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say, what was uh, Nerd Bomber's answer again? 5,361. Uh, okay. and tactic, I believe said 60. Yeah. I'm going to say, oh, that's not, that's not nearly enough. I would say, um, let's go 4,000. So before you tell us the answer, tactic, you realize a gallon is like a gallon of milk, right? And through the yeah. entire TV show, they only use 60 gallons. <laughs> I'll tell you what, 70 I'll tell some you, odd episodes. I'll tell you, tactic definitely under, but there were multiple takes of shots too. You have to consider. And you guys went nuts with the gallons. So they did not. In fact, mm-hmm. one of them got it exactly. And no, Bomber, you didn't know it was not 5,361. <laughs> it was exactly 4,000 gallons. What? So ben is up to three point. I'll tell you what. He hedged and now he is the front runner. So the where we are here, Nerd Bomber or Tactic has to get both of these last questions correctly to tie Ben and force the tiebreaker. So let's, let's just get right into it. How many Emmys has Game of Thrones won? Again, throughout its entire eight-season run. I will I will tell you, it has the record. That may help you. It has the record for most most Emmys won by a drama. And now we're on Tectic for... for 23. Us. Okay, quick answer over to, to Mr. Ben. Uh, so Emmys, we're talking about all different categories, correct? So All just, different categories. Right. Hmm. Let's go with, since I know you don't like prime numbers, 37. You're right, I don't. <laughs> okay uh nerd bomber we have 23 and 37 what do you have for us so let's say maybe they won three emmys a year it was on for eight years although then it You're... puts me right above <laughs> tactic and i feel like a jerk doing that i'm gonna give him a little bit of wiggle room i'm gonna say 25 well a lot of wiggle room there. <laughs> we have a winner 59 really 59. guys this show is a big deal yeah i, I when i said it held the record i was not joking 59 Emmys. You got that much side boob, you know? Many Emmys won for Best Drama. I believe Peter Dinklage won a handful of times. The cast, the ensemble cast was so large, I think a number of them won Emmys at various points. So with that, Ben, this is a victory lap for you, this last question, but let's just, let's do it anyways. What do you say? Okay. So the last episode of the show was much maligned. In fact, the entire last season was much maligned. My bonus question, I'll just tell you, was what was the Rotten Tomatoes critic score of the final season? Uh, it was 55 people did not like the last season that's um, what i was gonna guess what was the runtime in minutes of the finale aired in april no in may of 2019 and uh, this uh, is the sixth question so it's me that's correct yeah i i have no idea well you're probably Let's going say... to get it right if, if if history is any indication so just no. tell us what you're feeling <laughs> well i'm th- i'm feeling like it's a it's one of those uh snyder-esque kind of like affairs where we're going Let's go 180 minutes, so three okay. hours. Over to Narbomber. I'm going to say 102. Like, they were two 51-minute episodes spliced together. I was going to say 103. But you know what? I'll give you some wiggle room. He's going to say 104. 104. <laughs> <laughs> well, the joke's on you. You all busted. 80 minutes, guys. Not that was Not than a traditional hour-long episode. Yeah, 80 wow. minutes. So, nonetheless, Ben absolutely blow you guys out of the water on that one uh not even close 
we went ahead and smacked a guest with knowledge and he absorbed that energy and shot it right back in their proper faces. Just so. beginner's luck, man. I, I'm just not a He's fan. He's wearing the Black Panther suit. <laughs> so if we look at the overall quiz record, since since we began record tracking, I believe that bit, that brings Ben to 1-0. I feel like we have started tracking it when you were last on the show, but I don't have anything written down. So for all intents and purposes, you are 1-0. And, and you're not that far Tec- behind me is the, Tectic, the sad yeah, Tectic part for me. Tactic off the 4 and 5, <laughs> Nerd Bomber T7 and 3, and I sit triumphant at 8 and 2. But percentage-wise, Ben's, Ben still has me. So that brings us to the end here. We want to thank Ben again so much for being on. Again, check out his podcast, which is uh, in its nascency coming June 23rd, I believe he said, www.2vagpodcast, that's two spelled out, dot com. And thank you all for being here. It's been a real pleasure. Tell your tell your librarian. And also, like, go to the library. Just, let's just do that, because it's a good place to be. And we will see you next week.